Welcome to Making Coffee, a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making one of the world's favorite beverages. I'm your host, Lucia Solis, a former winemaker turned coffee processing specialist. Thanks for joining this week's episode. Welcome to episode one. This has been very difficult to record because I haven't known where to start, but I think a natural place is to explain why a former winemaker has a podcast about coffee and not about wine. I studied winemaking at UC Davis. The major is actually called viticulture and enology. And viticulture is plant physiology, growing grapes, and enology is the chemistry of winemaking. 2014, I had the opportunity to start working with coffee through fermentation. So I would travel to mills and test different coffee strains to see how they would affect and change the flavor and the fermentation. And at the time, I didn't even drink coffee. I was not... Um, I was not part of that world at all. And so I felt very insecure when I just came to it very late. What I do when I feel insecure is to go to the research and to go to the source. And so I started reading up on coffee and I started reading as much of the research available on fermentation and processing as I could, thinking that I was going to catch up to my colleagues, thinking that um, this is all information that everybody else had and I was just late to the game. But very quickly, I realized that a lot of this information that was available was not common knowledge. It was not something that everybody else knew and that there was this big gap between what coffee producers know and the information that they were going off of and then what the researchers thought about coffee and the type of information that they were researching. And so there was this very large gap and my work for this last five years has been trying to close that gap. And so a big reason I wanted to have this podcast is to share some of that foundational research that allowed me to design my trials, the information that I use on a daily basis, and and to make that a lot more accessible. Before I started those episodes of showing you the research and then how I've applied it, I realized I needed to have an episode about how to critique research papers and how to evaluate if a certain research paper is coming from a credible source to look at their experimental design and to analyze the results and see how this is going to be incorporated. But before we got into that episode, I wanted to have a introduction foundational episode about what is coffee in the first place. And a lot of uh, information and knowledge that I take for granted that turns out is not as common knowledge. And so one of the themes that we'll explore in these episodes due to my winemaking background, is a compare and contrast. There's a lot of ways in which specialty coffee industry is getting compared to the wine industry. And in a lot of ways, I feel that some of those comparisons are misguided and silly and can be confusing. But in other ways, there are several things that uh, the wine industry can, can lend to the coffee industry, that the coffee industry can borrow from the wine industry. The first fundamental point that I need all of us to agree on if if we're going to move forward is that coffee is a fruit and not a bean. And this is important because it can be, it can seem like a silly distinction of, okay, sure, we know it's a fruit, but we're calling it, we're calling it a bean because it's just colloquial and it's, um, it's just coffee beans. Um, but for me, I'm very adamant about defining coffee and thinking about coffee as a fruit because 
when you think about it as a bean and you make that association with it as a legume, it's just enough of a separation to not consider that it's a fruit that comes from a plant that's an agricultural product and that limits the way that coffee quality can improve. Taking the wine industry as an example, we know that wine comes from grapes and that is a very strong connection. And when you want to drink better wine or when someone wants to make better wine, then the obvious connection to make better wine is to grow better grapes. And with coffee, when most people want to drink better coffee or make better coffee, I think the first thing that most people think of is brewing. Maybe if I make this in a Chemex instead of a French press, it'll taste differently. Um, or you can go to the next level further down the supply chain and say, well, if I want to drink or make better coffee, I need to roast differently and I need to tweak different, different uh, parts of my roast curve. And that's when we're only focusing on coffee as a bean. But when we think about it as a fruit, then drinking better coffee like drinking better wine can be associated with growing better coffee. And I think that that connection is very seldom, seldomly made where drinking better coffee comes from growing better coffee. So when we don't think about coffee as a fruit, when we think about it just as a bean, we're missing this entire world of different agricultural practices, different nutrients, different ways that we can make the fruit more nutritionally dense to make a better coffee down down the line. So I think that's something that I hope the coffee, the specialty coffee industry can borrow from wine is really tying it back to the fruit and the nature of plants. So if the first thing that we need to have as our foundation is that coffee comes from a fruit, then the coffee that we drink is coming from a seed. And Again, this reinforces the idea that as a seed, it is the most nutritionally dense part of the plant and changing the growing conditions has an impact on flavor. And again, this, this just gives us more tools to amplify and manipulate the flavor profile that don't only rely on roasting or brewing techniques. Another very large theme of this podcast is going to be fermentation and a core of my work is fermentation practices. And one of the funniest things to me is when I see in terms of coffee, the idea of fermentation being trendy. Because first of all, fermentation itself isn't trendy. It's the oldest method of food preservation. The concept of fermentation as it applies to coffee is also not new. It's something that's been part of coffee's processing history since the very beginning. So we know coffee is a fruit and what we want is the seed, what we're drinking ultimately is the seed, then we have to separate the seed from the fruit because all of the mucilage and the pulp and the skin, all of the surrounding parts that are protecting the seed are really barriers to how we enjoy the beverage. So fermentation was a, a natural free way that the mucilage and those outer layers would soften over time and liberate the seed so that we could dry it and then ship it and roast it and eventually drink it. This is a big distinction between coffee and the wine industry in how fermentation is viewed. So in my, in my background as a winemaker, the fermentation is a very 
powerful part of the style, of dictating the style of, of what the wine is going to be like. So the temperature that you ferment at, the type of yeast that you use, the amount of skin contact, all of these elements allow the winemaker to put their personal stamp on the wine. And so this is a really rich opportunity for flavor, for differentiating your product, for making brand new compounds that would not exist. And wine would not exist without a fermentation. In coffee, we're using the same word, which is confusing because we're using the word fermentation to describe this this seed liberation. Um, But coffee producers view fermentation in a very opposite way than winemakers. Traditionally, it is seen as a inert step to just remove the seed from its mucilage, from its from its skin, and hurry up and get the seed to dry. So most producers are constantly working to reduce the fermentation um, to be as short as possible. This is one way where the word fermentation to me is inaccurate, where it's not an active, cultivated, purposeful step what most people are really doing is letting the fruit kind of spoil long enough or just kind of decompose, break down so that the seed can be removed from the mucilage. I think fermentation is the wrong word to to use historically, but also another way that most producers have been viewing it is to, as a barrier of this fermentation is what's getting in the way of them being able to dry the seed and make money from coffee. And a winemaker sees a fermentation as it's a value add step. And so most producers, the trend was actually away from fermentation. The trend was, you know, when coffee was first being processed, this, the fruit was left alone long enough to soften, to rot slightly, and then to remove the seed. And as technology increased, processes got more efficient, they realized we don't have to have a fermentation step at all. We can remove the seed by using machines that have high pressured water and friction and just physically wash the mucilage off of the seed and then we can get to the drying stage much more quickly. This move away from a traditional kind of natural fermentation into mechanically washed coffees, for some people, because they the previous method was just letting the fruit basically rot until the seed came out. Um, this was a much better method. For other producers, they noticed that their coffee reduced in complexity. The flavors were not as interesting. It was a little bit more flat. And so more recently, the trend has been back towards a controlled fermentation where we can increase the flavor and increase the complexity of the coffee, but not have the drawbacks of basically letting it spoil. So all that to say, a really big distinction between coffee and wine in in terms of viewing the fermentation is that in wine, it's seen as a value add and it's absolutely necessary for the product. And in coffee, it's been seen as a barrier and a fermentation is not at all necessary for you to get coffee in the end. So one of the things that I saw at first is usually people don't know that coffee is a fruit. And if they do, they don't also usually know that coffee is fermented, but then there's this misconception that all coffee is fermented and that the fermentation is necessary the way that it is in beer or in yogurt. Those products would not exist without a fermentation. Coffee can exist perfectly fine without it. I just personally don't think it's as tasty. A big point where coffee and wine differ, another big point where coffee and wine differ is in how both fruits ripen. 
in the wine industry, it's very common of, you know, all of the plants ripen within a few days of each other and the entire block gets picked at once. And then the crew moves over to a different block and each block is really visited once. There is an opportunity for a second crop, but in wine, it's predominantly fruit gets ripe at one time, all of it is picked and you move on. Coffee has a much more uneven ripening. Because they ripen at different times, you need a person to pick one cherry at a time on a bunch, whereas in grapes, an entire cluster, an entire bunch of grapes will be picked and not just an entire cluster, um, all of the clusters on that single grapevine will get picked at the same time. In coffee, it's so different because not only is each cherry is being picked one at a time, but when the other ones are ripe, then workers have to come back um, into the coffee farm and revisit the same exact plant two, three, four times, um, depending on the labor available and the season. And so really hard to manage consistent quality when the plant itself has a very inconsistent ripening. And some places don't have the luxury that you can go back in two, three, four times to pick only the ripest cherries. And so they do have to pick as much as they can. And so you add that increased variability to to coffee, where it starts out as an incredibly non-homogenous mass. Whereas in wine, everything gets picked at once. It's very close to being ripe. And then it gets put into a tank and turned into liquid, and that liquid is one large homogenous batch. And in coffee, you have all of these, you know, very different little points filling up a tank. And because they're all in one tank, we think, okay, this is a homogenous batch. But really, each seed within that fruit is experiencing something very different. They all have different moisture content. They all have different carbohydrates based on their ripeness. And they're all experiencing a different environment in that tank. And a really big difference between coffee and wine, where I think that a lot of the similarities break down, is that in the wine industry, it's very common for the winery to own vineyards or be very close to vineyards that they buy from. And they also, so they can grow the grapes, turn them into wine, bottle them at their facility, and then hand it over to the customer. And then the customer can say, I really like this. This was a great year. Um, I love the Chardonnay this year, but I didn't like it last year. Or I like, you know, there's there's a, a feedback loop. And then the winemaker or the vineyard owner can say, oh, okay, maybe we had a very hot year and it was really ripe. And so next year we're going to pick a little bit earlier or we're going to pick later or we're going to do these different things. And they have that feedback loop. In coffee, it's very segmented and the chain is very long. So the person that owns a farm very rarely also has a mill. And the mill does not usually export and they don't also import. And then they <laughs> very rarely um, roast their own coffee and then have the cafe. So there's all of these different steps, all these different barriers so that the final customer, when we drink a cup of coffee and whether we like it or not, there's no way to give that feedback back to the farmer to say, hey, this was great. Do everything, do it again this way next year. And so because the farmers aren't getting that feedback because the mill is not getting that feedback, when you have a cup of coffee, and this is what I think is part of the miracles, like when you have a cup of coffee, that's fantastic. It's incredible that it made it through all of those steps, maintaining its integrity and maintaining that quality. And it's very likely that you will never have a cup of coffee like that again, even if you get it from the same farm, even if you get it from the same roaster, because there's so many things that change at any given moment. So 
I mean, that makes me appreciate coffee a lot more because it, it's it's such a unique and rare experience to have a really good cup of coffee. There's one more thing I wanted to say about the difference between coffee and wine. When I hear comparisons with coffee and wine, one of the biggest places it breaks down is that in wine, the objective is the skin and the pulp and the juice, and you want as little influence from the seed as possible. Whereas in coffee, the goal is the opposite. We throw the skin away, we throw away the pulp and the mucilage and the juice, and all we want is the seed. And so fundamentally, these two industries that get compared to each other often have opposite goals. In one, the seed is the most important, and in the other one, the seed, you want as little impact from the seed as possible and as much impact from the skin and the juice as possible. So that's just something to keep in mind. When specialty coffee is borrowing practices from the wine industry, um, most of those practices in the wine industry are meant to reduce the influence of the seed as much as possible so that you, I mean, the goal in winemaking is to never taste the seed. If you taste the seed, if you taste the um, components and the astringency and bitterness that can come from the seed, you have not done as good a job as you can. I know that was a lot of information for the first episode. <laughs> this is supposed to be just a baby intro before we get into like the, the much meatier stuff. Um, but I, it was important to have that foundation, have that baseline. I am so excited that you are willing to give me a few minutes of your of your time to listen to my coffee ramblings, my science ramblings. Thank you so much for listening. And remember that life's too short to drink bad coffee.